are listening to the Innovo Podcast, a ministry of Innovo Vineyard Church in Wichita, Kansas. To learn more about Innovo, you can visit us online at innovovineyard.com. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Uh, anyway, we're in a series called Parables, and parables were not just random stories that Jesus told, it was a teaching method of the uh, rabbis back in that day. And just a little review, uh, rabbis, uh, a rabbi once said that a teaching without a parable is like a basket without handles. You can't get your arms around it. You need a good story in there. So parables became known among the people as basket handles from what that rabbi said. And um, a third of a good rabbi's teaching was called a halakha. Halakha was really the... uh, teaching of the Old Testament rules and laws and regulations and commandments. A third of a rabbi's teaching was Haggadah, which was teaching by example or acting it out. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it was really a little mini-sermon for them that we're we're to serve each other and not be served. So Haggadah, and a third was parables. If you look at the Lord Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, almost exactly it's broken down into those thirds, Haggadah, Halakha, and parables. And uh, it's very interesting. There are four to 5,000 parables being used in the day of the Lord Jesus. Jesus didn't really write any of those, maybe a couple, but they were ones being passed around. He would combine them and change them because a good parable always had shock value. And Jesus was a master at that. He would, he would tell a parable that they had heard a million times, but he'd make a change at the end and everybody would be surprised and offended or horrified or they'd pay attention or, or whatever. Uh, three main themes in parables. One, God's love for us was a common theme. Two, uh, our love for our neighbors. And three, the kingdom of God were the main themes of the parables. So we've been hitting these for a few weeks. Today we're going to talk about our love for our neighbors. This is good because we believe with all our heart that being a church uh, in this neighborhood isn't just a thing. We are called to love our neighbors. We are, we are here to, to reach and minister to the families in this neighborhood. And almost everything we do, we see through that lens. Uh, and that's our goal. So I wanted to ask you today just a question to start. Uh, if we're supposed to love our neighbors, how good are you at loving people? How good are you at loving people? What would people say, that you do a good job or a bad job, or you have good days? Or you like me, you have good days and bad days, good seasons and bad seasons, grumpiness and love mixed together a little bit sometimes. But what about your coworkers? Are you good at loving your coworkers? Unless you're retired. Um, are you good at loving your literal neighbors around your house? Do you know their names? Are you good at, li- at loving your friends? Are you good at loving your family? That's hard sometimes. Um, are you good at loving people that don't add any value to your life? People that really may not have anything to add to you, at least you think that. Are you good at loving people that don't like you? How are you good at loving people? You know, I think the Lord Jesus talked a lot about loving your enemies, which leads me to believe that people had a lot of enemies back in that day, you know? Uh, the, the Romans, the Herods, the different religious factions that were going on. There was a lot of disagreement. There were a lot of arguments. There was a lot of division. 
uh, reminds us a little bit of today. We have a lot of political division and disagreement and social things going on and people pulling things here and there. And there's just a lot of, there are a lot of arguments. You know, it can, it can be a, a life skill to avoid arguments these days, you know. Uh, so this is probably good for us as well. So as Jesus did with so many things, how did he breach the subject? He told a parable to help people get their arms around it. Gave them a basket handle. Now here's the, here's the background. Uh, Jesus told this parable we're going to look at today after a conversation with uh, a Torah scholar. Now what was the Torah or the Torah? What was that? First five books of the Bible. Somebody. Genesis. Okay, first five books of the Bible was called the Torah. And this guy was a Torah scholar. He knew it. He had it memorized. He, had, he covered all the aspects. He studied it. That's what he did. So in Luke 10, starting in verse 25, it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Here's the question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Okay, we're going to start with this. Now, I want to say this. A lot of parables, as I study them, the way they're commonly taught at church is different, I think, than how they really went down or what was going on many times. Uh, this was an honest question by this guy. He was not trying to trick Jesus. It wasn't confrontational, I don't believe. Uh, there was no hostility. In, in that day, if you were a religious scholar, you tested somebody because you respected them. And you would kind of challenge them in a, in a good way because you knew that they were just going to knock it out of the park. And good rabbis never gave answers right away. They asked questions. You know, I don't know if you've experienced this in your prayer life. If you, ask, if you ask the Lord Jesus a question, a lot of times you'll hear a question back sometimes. That's kind of what God always does and what he always did. So he's, what's the question that he asked? What should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in, in our culture, we hear this differently. Our church culture in Wichita, Kansas, 2021, than, a, than the common person would have heard it back in Jesus' day. When we think eternal life, a lot of times, and we've heard sermons on this, we're thinking, what do I have to do to go to heaven? How can I be, be saved, so to speak? And this isn't what he meant at all. To, to the average Jewish person, he, they were concerned with, how do I love God now? How do, right here on earth in Jerusalem or Galilee or wherever I'm leading, how do I make this work now? How do I have God involved in my life now? How do I have harmony between God and I now? How do I find meaning and peace in my life now? I'm not talking about what happens after I die. Eternal life doesn't start when I die. It starts now. We're eternal. So Jesus asks, answers him with a question. Now I think... The guy was a Torah scholar. Jesus is pretty smart. So he, he asked him a question based on what he knew. The guy knew the Torah. That was his, his field. He thought all the answers to life were found in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So his, Jesus' question to the guy was, well, what does the law say? Okay? So he put it right back in his area, his, his field house. And the man answered, According to Deuteronomy, I can't remember if it's five or six, 
You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This came from the Shema. It was what every good Jewish person had memorized. They'd recite it every day. They'd write it on scrolls and put it on their fence, put it on their doorpost. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. They recited it with passion and meaning and feeling. It wasn't just a rote recitation. Man, they, they would say it, you know, with emotion and feeling. And, and Jesus heard this, and I think, I think it, was the, it was the right answer. <laughs> he was delighted. And then he added something that wasn't in the Shema that just captured what Jesus is trying to convey. He, he, he adds this, and love your neighbor as yourself. Two separate passages, two separate ideas. He puts it together, and I can almost see Jesus' eyes just brighten. Like, dude, this guy gets it. <laughs> he, he understands it, you know. He gets it, and he says, his, his response in the, in the Bible is right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. If you can love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and you can love people, Man, that, that's, that's 90% of the deal right there. 90%. And then the man asks a follow-up question that sounds kind of weird. He says, but who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, who's my neighbor? Now, this was a raging debate that was going on in Jesus' day. There were, you know, these guys, they loved the, they loved the Torah, uh, everyone in, in, who is Jewish in Israel, they went to a Torah school when they were little. Probably almost everyone had the Torah memorized when they were in school. Uh, some had the entire Old Testament memorized. They loved the Bible, and they would have debates and discussions, and they were this Bible sparring. Yeah, how many of you guys have played Bible trivia? Before this is like Bible trivia on steroids. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't just about the right answer, but the meaning behind the right answer and, and what we're supposed to do. And there was this discussion of of uh, who's my neighbor. And one thing people get confused about, you know, language is not static. Language is always changing. Can you think of some words today that don't mean what they meant 20 years ago? Can you think of some words? You know, the word. The words, word, you know, goat, you know, the goat. You know, back in the day, if you were the goat, that was not a good thing. Now, if you're the goat, you're the what? Greatest of all times. You know, so things are, words are always changing and words are being added to the dictionary. And you can use words, you know, like they meant years ago. And people look at you like you're crazy because that word doesn't mean the same thing. Language is always evolving and, and changing. And this word by, of neighbor came from Leviticus 19.18, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, uh, it said, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay? Don't bear a grudge, but love your neighbor as yourself. And that word for, for neighbor was reah. I always try to drop a little Hebrew or Greek to make me look more intellectual than I really am. Reah and that word meant friend or companion or associate or fellow citizen. It was very 
it was very broad. It literally meant someone close to you, someone geographically close to you. You know, love those people. Uh, how many of you guys have read the book of Ruth in the Bible? Ruth is a derivative of Reah, and her name meant close companion or neighbor. That was the name Ruth. So there are all these discussions going on. What do you, what do you mean by neighbor? Uh, some said it was a friend in your community. Someone said it was a co-worker. Some believed it could even be an enemy or somebody that didn't like you. But they, they all agreed on this one thing. A neighbor was never a pagan, never a Roman, never a Samaritan. Okay? It could mean a lot of things, but I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. We, God doesn't say that we've got to love those guys, okay? Now, let's talk about church culture here a little bit, you know, that we, we're in it because we're in church today. Do you ever get a feeling that, yeah, we've got to love people, but I, I really don't have to love that person, or I really don't have to love this person, or there's people we encounter that, for whatever reason, out of hurt or misinformation or life experience, they hate Christians, they hate the gospel, they hate church. And if we're not careful, what can creep into our heart can be a not-so-good feeling towards people who are like that. Is God saying that we have to love those people? And what does that mean? So this was the, the debate back in the day. And you also had something else going on, too. I'm trying not to give too much background, but I, want, I need to drop this. You had people in the day that interpreted the Bible literally, okay? Word for word, this is what it says. If you deviate from this, you're always in the wrong. Then you had people who, who believed what was called the oral tradition or the interpretation of the written. In a lot of parables, Jesus criticizes the oral interpretation, not because it was bad, but because they were doing it wrong, okay? There's a lot of criticism. So a lot, a lot of times we'd hear sermons about, well, all the oral interpretation was wrong. No, because Jesus is going to say, here, the oral interpretation was, was the balance and it was right. So he gives this parable and he steps right into all this controversy. Who's my neighbor? Do we interpret the Bible literally? Or is there the oral interpretation important? All this was swirling around. Man, Jesus just goes right into it, and he's going to shock everybody here in a few minutes. So let's do this. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word, and um, let's read this together. It's three or four slides. Uh, would somebody read this for us today? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, 
the one who showed in mercy? Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. All right, thank you. You may be seated. Let's, uh, let's look at what was, was happening here a little bit. Okay, let's look at some of the characters. I love this, these longer parables that had some characters in them. It says a Jewish man was traveling. Okay, so who was traveling? Jewish man. Okay, pretty easy. We don't know his age or occupation or affiliation. We don't know which side of all these debates this guy was on. Um, we don't know what his community was or where he was from specifically. He could have been a priest or a Pharisee or a tax collector. He was just a dying man in need. And he's got wounds that made him unclean. He's, uh, any, any issue of blood or bodily fluid in that day, according to Old Testament law, made you unclean. And the Bible says that he was half dead. So register that word, that term, half dead. We're going to come back to that. Where was he traveling? The, okay, he's from Jerusalem going to Jericho. And you know the, the typography or the, the culture. Jerusalem, they always went up to Jerusalem because of the elevation. And coming down, you'd come down to really everything else, and you would go down to Jericho. And that road, that Jericho road, you heard some songs about that? The Jericho road was a dangerous winding road along the cliffs. Why don't you put that up there? There's the cliffs. I don't know if you can barely see over on the left. There was a, a little path or road. That was the Jericho Road. That's how you got from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It wasn't a four-lane highway. It was about 18 inches wide. So, and everybody who had taken that path knew it. Now, this was a dangerous road. Why? You know, if, if I was driving a car on the Jericho Road, my wife would not be happy. We had some of those on vacation in Utah, didn't we? No guardrails, right on the edge of a cliff. It was kind of scary. Um, but that, they didn't have cars, you know, except they all gathered in one accord, I read. So they had Hondas. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it was, bad joke. It was a, uh, when you traveled down there, there would be robbers waiting for people because it was an easy place to pick people off. So you just got paid, you got some money in your pocket, you're heading down to Jericho for a good time. I don't know if that's what happened, but you head down to Jericho, to Jericho and man, there'd be people waiting for you to rob you and steal your money and beat you up. Sometimes they just would push them right over the edge, rob them, just shove them off the edge. It's a long ways down there. So it was, it was scary. Um, everyone knew that because that road was so narrow, you couldn't just go around them or avoid them. You literally, if somebody was laying on the road, which I think happened somewhat frequently, you had to literally step over top of them. You couldn't go around them or it, you, you had to walk over them basically to, 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 to go by them. And any hotel or lodging place was probably is either in Jericho or is in Jerusalem. So there's no place in the middle, okay? So what happens? A priest comes along, okay? Uh, if Jesus said, I love, do you think Jesus was sarcastic? I think, I, think he, I think he was sometimes. He says, by chance, a priest comes along. Now, the priest and the Levite we're going to see were Sadducees who did not believe in the supernatural or the intervention of God on earth. So he says, by chance, you know, it wasn't sovereign, it wasn't God's, God appointed, by chance a priest come walking around. Everybody probably giggled a little bit, they would have caught that then. Um, and this guy, this priest comes walking by, 
Priests were very concerned with their ritual purity, okay? How do you get defiled? You couldn't touch a dead body uh, unless it was a close relative. The high priest couldn't touch it, even a close relative's dead body. You would be defiled for a certain amount of time. You couldn't do your, your priestly duties if you did that. So they were very concerned about not becoming ritualistically impure, if I can say that, okay? Never touch a dead body, okay? They took it literally. Would, it, would they ever touch a dead body? No way. Never going to happen, okay? So they come upon this guy who's been robbed and beaten, and the, how did the Bible describe him? He is half dead, okay? He's not alive. He's not dead. He is half dead, okay? That was a specific term in the, in the day, okay? Uh, if he was dying, it means that you're kind of on your way out. You're not, you're not probably going to make it, is kind of what that referred to. Uh, something that's gonna, going to die. And in a ritual sense, you treat them like a dead person. If they're, if they're on their way out and you're a priest, you don't want to become impure, you're not going to touch them just in case you touch them and they expire and you just touch the dead body. They're not going to take any chances at all. Now, the oral tradition guys, these were the literal guys, the literal interpretation guys. The oral tradition guys said it doesn't matter if he's dying or even dead. If you're walking down the Jericho Road and you find someone who's been dead for two weeks, your obligation is to put that person on your horse or donkey or whatever and, and, and go and bury him. Or maybe he's not even dead. He might even be alive. Who knows? Life is important. Okay? So the priest comes along and... Uh, I was, I was hoping one of the girls would be here today. Um, let, me, let me see how we do that. Uh, I'll skip. I was going to have somebody. Let's, the, uh, the Jericho Road is about equal to two steps. So you, you picture this Levite coming along. He sees the guy laying on the road. The priest steps over him and goes on his way. <laughs> Careful not to fall off the edge of the cliff. You know, very dangerous. So that's, that's kind of how that went down. Um, the Levite comes along, does the exact same thing. Now, what, what were the people thinking when they heard this parable? Okay. Were they thinking, ah, these, they're just scumbag religious guys. These guys are just horrible people. No, they didn't think that. They, they respected the priests and the Levites. They held them in high esteem. And they're, they're thinking, man, I, I bet that hurt those guys to have to do that. I bet they were sympathetic. I bet they couldn't sleep that night. But they had to obey the law so they stepped over the guy and left him where he was. They felt sympathy for the priest, probably, and for the Levi. Didn't surprise anybody. They're going to they're obey the Torah, okay? They did the right thing according to the law. They obeyed the Torah literally. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think they obeyed the heart of the law? Do you think they obeyed the heart of the law? You know, I think a lot of times... I think the church needs to have more concern for purity. I think we err on the other side. I think we take things too casually. But there are times where we can be so concerned about doing the right thing that we do the wrong thing. And it's hard. And, we're, and I tell you, it's a, it's a journey. And we're trying to figure it out. But you can do the what's written, and don't take this too far, but what's written but do it with the wrong heart or miss what God is saying in it. And that's, that's hard for us sometimes. We, we mess that up. 
See, the Pharisees or the oral interpretation people said that the oral interpretation of what's happening is, is more important than the literal words because there is a basic principle. And I want you to put that up for us, Matt. This was, uh, my, my Hebrew is not that good. Pekuach uh, nafest. Let's say that together on three. One, two, three. Pekuach nafest. When you say a Hebrew word, you got you to put that in there. Pekuach nafest. What, that, what did that mean? Human life is the most important. Human life is the most important. It is better for you to disobey the words in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy than to let somebody die. That was what was taught. Um, it's not about, this, this is just the, the philosophy. They would say it's not about, as much about doing everything right and as it's written, but you've got to understand the spirit of what's being written and what does God intend here. For example, um, my, you know, my, my 59-year-old brain just lost this. Uh, Rahab, the prostitute, okay? Rahab, if you, as you read in, the, in, in Jericho, of all things, kind of ironically, when the, the 10 spies, the 12 spies came in to Jericho, uh, spying out the land before the children of Israel came and invaded, what happened was uh, they, the authorities found out about them was going to kill them, so they went into the, the, the house of this prostitute named Rahab, and she hid them. And there's a knock on the door, and the authorities of the city, the guards are there, and says, we, we knew the, the spies are with you in there, so you need to turn them over to us. What did she do? She lied. <laughs> she said, there's no spies here. They left, they left half an hour ago. And she hid them up on the roof. So they came in and examined everything, and they couldn't find them, and then they left. And then you read in Hebrews that, that she is listed as a, as a hero of the faith. What did she do? She lied. <laughs> you know, what do you do? How does that fit into your theology? You know, uh, this, this was a real question. I just, I've been reading uh, Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's autobiography. Thanks for, the, thanks for the adjustment, Sid. Bonhoeffer's autobiography. And in that day, when the, the Nazis were out to kill all the Jewish people, and uh, a German whose conscience was bothering them would, would house and hide Jewish people in their house. And there would come that knock on the door, and it would be the Gestapo. And they would say, are you hiding any Jewish people in your house? What are you going to do? Bible says don't tell a lie. But if you tell a lie, all those people are going to die. How would the Pharisees answer that question? Uh, <laughs> I've got to read this so I don't mess it up here. They, they would say... Uh, Pekuach nafest. Life is important. Throw the Torah out the window if you have to, but you have to preserve a human life. Now, German people who wanted to do the right thing but not totally would say, I can't lie, I'm hiding Jewish people. And they would feel justified, and the authorities would go in and get them and take them out and kill them, take the Jewish people out and kill them. And they would feel justified. I had to tell them. And they didn't want to put their family at risk. But others would lie and say, there's no Jewish people here. And they would hide them. Pekuach <laughs> nafest. Human life is the most important thing. Theology is not always black and white. It's not always easy to understand what the right thing is to do. They handled that with their oral tradition. Human life is the most important thing. So to the oral guys, to the Pharisees, 
okay? I don't care if the person lying on the road is the scum of the earth, if he is a Samaritan, if he is a mess, if he killed somebody, but you have an obligation if that guy is lying on the side of the road and he's dying, no matter if it makes you ritually unclean or not, it's your obligation to help that person. So you got the first two travelers. You got the, Le- the priest, then the Levite. Both of them are, Sad- are Sadducees. Both are literal interpretation guys, okay? And then Jesus is ready to introduce the third character. And when Jesus told parables, there was always a shock factor. People would gasp, literally, and everybody who wasn't paying attention would start paying attention, okay? Now let me tell you something. Everyone was expecting that this third character was going to be a Pharisee. What was the debate? Literal interpretation versus oral interpretation, okay? Uh, Pharisees were the oral interpretation guys. Sadducees were the literal interpretation guys. He's going he's gonna to say, and the third guy was a Pharisee, and he helped him, and you guys need to be like the Pharisees. That's what everyone was expecting. No one thought twice that it wouldn't be a Pharisee. Uh, <laughs> Jesus says, and a Samaritan came along. And everyone's jaw dropped and hit the floor because I there was not a single person in that crowd expecting him to say Samaritan. If there was orchestration, it would have been dun-dun-dun-dun. You would have been right there. You would have been, it would have been that thing, you know. And everyone was surprised. Now, the Samaritans, real quick, were the most hated people in, in Judea. I mean, they hated the Romans, they hated the Herods, they, they hated the Samaritans. In the Babylonian captivity, when the Babylonians came down and, and captured all the Israelis and took them to Babylon, left some there, then they took people from other lands and transplanted them into Israel, and the people intermarried in that area. So the Samaritans were people that were part Jewish, part some, something else. In Jesus' day, they still believed in the Torah. They had their own temple worship places. And would you believe that just like the Sadducees, they were literal interpretation guys? They believe you interpret the Bible literally all the time. That was the Sadducees. But the Jews hated the Sadducees, and the Sadducees hated the Jews. And there were incidents in Jesus' day where uh, the, Sadu- the, or the, the Samaritans, I'm sorry, had killed some of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people were killing Samaritans. I mean, it was, it, this, was, it was a, this was a violent hatred, okay? Uh, one, one day, according to Josephus, some guys, some Samaritans came to Jerusalem, broke into the temple, and took pig guts, pigs were unclean, and strewed them through the temple courts and into the temple itself. People woke up the next day for the big celebration, and there's pig entrails all through the temple. I mean, this was, this was a serious feud. This was the Hatfields and McCoys times 20. I mean, these guys hated each other. And Jews didn't travel through Samaria because they hated the Samaritans. They knew if they traveled through Samaria, there's a good chance they're going to die. Okay, this was what was going on in the time. This was a hatred of hatreds. Okay, and uh, anyway, the this, this Samaritan comes along. The religious leaders come along, make no effort to help the guy because of their biblical interpretation. Okay, 
Uh, like the robbers, they abandon the guy. They leave him where he is. They actually continue the violence done to him that the robbers did and that they left him to die and ignored him. Okay? The Samaritan comes along and what does he do? Just the opposite. He, the Samaritan did the thing that we're wanting to do. Uh, he felt compassion for the guy. It doesn't say if the Levite or the priest felt compassion or didn't feel compassion, but when this guy saw the condition of the person, he felt something. <laughs> Isn't that what we want? You know? We need to have a zeal for God's word, but we also need to feel things for people as we go through things and, and make decisions. Um, but he does the exact opposite of what the robbers did. He went to the guy. They abandoned him. He went to the guy. Uh, they inflicted wounds. He bound up the wounds, put, poured oil and wine on the wounds. Uh, they probably took his beast or animal. This guy actually set, the per, set this, this, uh, this victim on his animal and took him to an inn and paid the innkeeper. They, they took his money. He invested money in the guy. He even gave extra protection for the injured man, said, man, I'm going to return one day, and if there's anything I need to take care of, then I'll take care of it. And one of my, the first things I thought of when I heard this was, what a great picture of the Lord Jesus. You know, we're victimized by sin. We're victimized by the enemy. Uh, we've been scammed and schemed against and are in bad shape. And the Lord Jesus feels compassion for us. He comes along. He gets involved. He gave his life for us so that we can have life and know him. And he invests in us. And he says, I'm coming back. And everything that's not right now, I'm going to make it right then. <laughs> it's just an awesome picture of the Lord Jesus. And I think of that, first of all. Um, but the Samaritan stops and he does the opposite. And he invests a day and a half of his life he gets interrupted. I don't know about you, but you know, I, if I got a plan, I mean, I'm going to work my plan. Um, I don't want to get interrupted. I, I, had a, I had a friend who was worse than me. Like when they were going on a family trip, he never wanted to stop. You ever, you ever anybody like that in the house? You know, if you got kids, that's a problem. You know, and he's going down, he's going, he's going in the car. And um, so he devised a system. So when his kids had to go to the bathroom, they would pee into a funnel and they would run a cord, a tube down in, through the floorboard and then made his kids pee into a funnel, boys and girls in the, in the family. I think that's serious, man. He said one day, his, his oldest son was named Greg. One day, uh, Greg was in my youth group and he was very scarred. Uh, he says one day Greg peed into the funnel on a trip and the wind blew up and caught the pee going through the floorboard and blew it all back into the car and got everybody wet. And then from then on, the dad would always stop at the bathroom, you know, he, he changed. So, so for me, getting interrupted, that's the hard thing for me. I'm, I got my plan. I don't want to get interrupted. I, I'm, I just want to go. And this guy let himself be interrupted. He stopped. He changed his plan to help this guy. So this is what happened. What's the point of the parable? Okay. What's the point? Uh, when you see a half-dead person, we've got to help him. We need to help others. That wasn't the point of the parable. What was the question? Who's my neighbor? Okay, let's look at the end. 
Jesus says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, and in his holiness and devoutness and biblical interpretation, he couldn't even bring himself to say the title of the other guy. He couldn't even say it. He wasn't about to say the Samaritan. (laughs) He wasn't going to say it. He just said the one who showed him mercy, which was correct. Who was the neighbor? All this, all this discussion about who the neighbor is, the, the Samaritan was the neighbor. <laughs> and Jesus says, now go and do the same. And it was a tough lesson because there were enemies and there were people who were upset. <laughs> See, this parable was about loving the Samaritan. This parable was about people as we go through life, we are harmed and we cause harm, honestly. We're trying to figure things out. Sometimes we do it right, sometimes we don't. We make decisions and we have enemies. There's cultural enemies, there's enemies that have different political ideas. Man, in this day, we can get really fired up about people who disagree with us and have some strong opinions. We can be very angry And if we're not careful, what happens is hatred enters our hearts and we start to really have bad feelings about people. Uh, If we understand that we have been scammed by sin, a lot of people want to point out the fact that we're sinners and we sin and we are, but if you really look at it, everyone who's living a life apart from the Lord Jesus has been deceived and scammed by sin been taken advantage of. They're much like this person on the side of the road who's been taken advantage of, surprised, ambushed, beaten up, left for dead. And it can be easy to say, well, you know, he shouldn't have been traveling alone. You know, priests would always have an entourage with them. Well, maybe this guy had to leave at the last minute. Maybe he was, couldn't afford an entourage. Maybe his friends were supposed to go with him and they didn't show up. Who knows the circumstances? But we find people in different states of of lostness, however you want to put it. And I think one thing the Lord Jesus wants us to know is that we have to walk in compassion all the time. Now, there are things that are right that we have to do, and there's things that are hard that we have to do. Um, But what Jesus is saying, basically, is we need to expand Leviticus 18. Don't hold a grudge, but forgive. And we need to love our neighbor. So what are, what are some things for us? Let me just drop a couple things. Now this might hit you. I don't know how this hits you. You know, it gave me a lot of food for thought today as I really just meditated on this this week. Um, number one, do we value relationships over formulas? Do we value relationships over formulas? The, the power of God's word comes when we partner with the Holy Spirit um, when we try to apply God's word like a formula, and sometimes it, 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 God's word works. You know, one of my biggest scriptures has been Psalms 1, where it says, you know, don't, don't hang out with sinful people who are going to lead you astray, but meditate on the word. And when you meditate on the word, everything you do is going to prosper. You know, and that's been a big scripture for me. God's word is powerful and it's active. And when we, when we memorize it, there's, there's positive results into our life. But we're, we're also people of the spirit, and, we, and we, 
we lean on the Word, but we also lean on the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The priests and the Levites both had, they all had the Word, but they didn't listen to the Spirit. <laughs> so um, when the Lord Jesus came and taught, he did something that was very interesting. He said, you've heard it said, but let me tell you the heart of it. Matthew 5, let me just give you a couple of those. You've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. Okay? Black and white right there in the law. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He takes a principle and he makes it stronger, you know? It's not just about not committing adultery, it's about what you look at, what you think, what you, what you role play in your mind. Okay? He took a, he took a principle, he says, hey, this is tougher than what you're, how you're applying it, Okay? You've heard it say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not show opposition against an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. That's a tough one, okay? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you have a right to get revenge. He says, no, we, we lay down our lives as servants for people. Have mercy. <laughs> so you got two, two, two extremes. And then the one that applies to this, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. How do we handle enemies? Political, relational, whatever. We love them, we pray for them. That's what we do. Uh, as we interpret the Bible, make decisions for our life and for our families, man, we, know, we need to know the word. But we also need to listen to the Spirit of God. Those are both important. It's not, it's not as black and white as we want to make it. Um, the second thing I think of is as we move forward with relationships with our neighbors, and we have neighbors everywhere, you know, co-workers, friends, family, uh, literal neighbors where you live, but our neighbors here in our neighborhood, we, we have to feel compassion for people. And you can't make yourself feel compassion Either you feel compassion or you don't. But if you, you're not feeling compassion for people, then, um, then we pray, God, tenderize my heart. My heart's too hard. Um, the privilege of hanging out with Jack in the food pantry is I get to meet a lot of our neighbors in need. And it, you can't hear people's stories without feeling something, you know? And, and, and part of what we need to be praying for ourselves is, Lord, give us, give us compassion for our neighbors. It's easy to see people who are making bad life decisions and be judgmental. They're saying, well, I would never do that, or, well, maybe they deserve it at some point. And get all these hateful things that church people can feel, and it's not good for us. And if, you, and if you're starting to feel that way, because we all get grumpy and we all struggle, if you feel those things, God tenderized my heart, <laughs> you know? Uh, how big is your reah? Are you just friends with people who can add value to your life? Are you willing to be friends with somebody who, is, who believes something different politically, who is uh, socially different for you, someone who is making really, really, really bad decisions for their life and wouldn't agree with you if you, that you think that way, <laughs> you know? Um, I believe in circle of friends. I don't have time to go into it right now. I believe our closest friends are people that share our values. But we need to let people into our sphere of in influence and have relationship with people that are struggling 
and it are dealing with sins in our life. It's just part of what we need to do. How big is your Who Are they your neighbors or are they enemies? Like, I would never hang out with that person. We need to expand that. Jesus wanted them to expand that. And the last one is this. These are just things I've thought of as I was processing this today. We need to, we need to walk in for, forgiveness. Um, I need to walk in forgiveness. You know, it's easy, it's easy to see people as enemies sometimes. It's easy if someone's hurt you to, um, to, to feel some negativity. As followers of Jesus, we've got to keep forgiving all the time. We've got to wake up in the morning and forgive. Some people have, have gone through some really, really bad wounds. We've got to keep forgiving. In Nazi Germany, in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's day, man, there were serious wounds taking place. It wasn't little stuff. They had to walk in forgiveness. It's hard. We hurt other people. None of us in here are perfect and don't make mistakes and hurt people. We have to carry our hearts in humility. Listen to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Keep forgiving each other. What it means to be a body of believers is um, we have to deal with hurts and we have to forgive and we have to love people outside our community and inside our community. It's, it's not easy, <laughs> but we do it. Um, the good news in all this, it's a lot of good news, but one of the good news is God is, God is very willing and wanting to be involved in every decision we make, especially decisions that involve people, that we do it out of love and do it out of humility, do it out of care and concern, but also out of truth. And he is there to help us as we make decisions. Doesn't mean that we won't always ever make a mistake, but he wants to be involved to help us to really, really love people. Let me pray for us. Lord, we, th we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your parables. Um, Lord, we thank you for your involvement in our life. Lord, we're, we're here today because we're, we're, we're striving and wanting to be people that live in peace with you and with others and to do this in a way that honors you. Lord, to live a life of purity as well and where all these things are mixed together. <laughs> So, Lord, we just, we just pray for your help. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people that, that seek your wisdom for every decision, every opportunity, everything that's going on. Uh, Lord, we pray for compassion. We pray for healing. And, Lord, we just thank you. We want you to be involved in every area of our life. Lord, where we mess it up, Lord, help us to, uh, to just trust you for what's ahead. Lord, I pray that we would be known as the most compassionate people around. Lord, we pray for the opportunities we have coming up to really interact with, with people and to know them and love them. And Lord, we just thank you for all you're doing in our lives today. Uh, thank you for your blessing. God, again, we remember the people in our church family who are experiencing some loss right now and are hurting. And Lord, I thank you that you are a present help in time of trouble. In Jesus' awesome name, amen. Amen.